The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church, and apologize for those of you who don't like snakes, but that's what we face is, uh, in this charlatan. It's, it's always good to be on the right side of a situation, and it's always bad to be on the wrong side of a situation. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13, the writer of Proverbs says, the buyer says, it is not, it is not, or it is no good, it is no good. And he makes the deal, and he walks away, and then he rejoices about the purchase. So he's trying to bargain. He's striking a deal. He's willing and dealing, and he's, he's talking to the person that he's buying from. He's like, no, it's not worth that. It's not worth that. And he gets a better deal, and he goes away, and, he, and he's really excited. And so it's always good to be on the right side uh, of a deal. You don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Jesus taught us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. So Jesus is describing this incredible life that is full of freedom when we learn about how to live with him as our shepherd. That entire chapter of John's gospel in chapter 10 is about learning about the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that really is restored that was lost At the beginning, when the fall of humanity, when we were plunged into this sinful state and we come into the existence as humans with a sinful nature, you don't have to teach humans how to sin. (laughs) If you have any kids, you know that. They figure it out on their own. They they just come into the world marred by sin. We all do. It's our explanation for um, the evil in the world, you know, disease, the the nature's messed up because of the fall. So we look at the world and there's all these impacts of the fall and Jesus comes as our good shepherd and we receive him into our lives. Like we accept him. So we had the baptism, Rick's baptism this morning and he talked in his testimony about me asking him, have you accepted the Lord? Like what good does it do to be baptized if you haven't accepted the Lord? Jesus said you, the only way into the kingdom is through him and every human being has to come to a point where like, They make a decision that they believe in Jesus and by faith they accept the Lord and then they're baptized. And when that happens, he becomes our shepherd, the good shepherd. He leads us into this life of freedom, this incredible journey. And so he's telling us the thief comes to steal that. The thief comes to kill that. The thief comes to destroy that freedom. He's trying to take it away from us. And we see it in, in young people and adolescents They buy into the lie of the thief who tells them that you can't get along with your parents because you're a teenager. So there has to be like this rebellious period that you go through and and you just do that. That's a lie. You don't have to buy that. If you buy it, you're on the wrong side of it. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a rocky relationship. You're going to think your parents are stupid for about five or six years. You're going to hit 25 and you're going to go, man, my mom and dad weren't so dumb after all. And then you're going to become friends again. And you're going to regret the rest of your life the way you treated your parents during that period of time because the thief stole from you. Um, Young people often uh, get caught up in the lie that, man, you just got to go out and do everything and and get, like, you don't have time to serve the Lord. Young and old get caught up in this, this lie. That you're going to lose some things if you give your life to Jesus. You're going you're gonna to lose. Here's the irony of it. You're going to lose your freedom. You're not going to be able to do what you want to do because now you're going you're gonna to be living for the Lord. And so you aren't going to be able to do what you want to do. 
But if you do what you want to do, you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side of the deal, and you're going to get ripped off. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to us here in John chapter 10, verse 10, is don't get on the wrong side of the deal. Stay on the right side of the deal. There's freedom in that. There's, there's incredible liberty that comes from the Lord as he moves in our lives and allows us to be the people that he has created us to be. And he knows firsthand. Is that me, bro? What's going on? The devil's trying to steal from me right now. Let me, let me screw that down a little bit. How about that? It should be good now. That, that cord was a little loose. And so the devil, like, like he is always trying to take that freedom away. And the Lord is teaching us that, hey, this freedom is yours because I have purchased it for you. And I want you to live on the right side of that. Now, Jesus knew, um, and he's telling us to beware of being ripped off because he has firsthand experience with the enemy trying to rip him off. As a matter of fact, his entire ministry, the enemy was trying to rip him off, trying to throw him off course, trying to get him on the wrong side. And so Jesus has this encounter where he starts his ministry and he goes out to John the Baptist, his cousin, and he says, I want to be baptized. John is, is out in the wilderness and he's doing this baptism of repentance. John's just doing what he feels like the, the Holy Spirit has told him to do as the first prophet that has come up in the history of Israel in over 400 years. And so we leave the Old Testament in Malachi and we get to the New Testament in Matthew. We have this period of this interbiblical period and the scholars call it the silent years. God wasn't speaking through a prophet. There was no prophet that was raised up who prophesied things where they saw the power of God was on his life and his message was authenticated by the power of God. Like Elijah, man, Elijah, he would say that this is what God is telling you to do and how did the people know whether they could trust him? Man, Elijah would perform miracles. God would allow him to like call down fire and things of that nature. And this is the way that God operated in the Old Testament before the Holy Spirit indwelled every believer. And so we come to the New Testament and we have this prophet that it's been four centuries since there's been a prophet. And so things have gotten really messy and confusing and way over on the wrong side. And so in this predecessor coming, preparing the way, Jesus goes to him, and when John sees him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. And John's like, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. You want me to baptize you? I'm not doing it. And Jesus says, no, prevent it. This is God's will. Like, permit it. This is God's will. And so John baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus is baptized, the Bible says, the gospel writers say that, that the spirit of God descended down upon him like a, a dove and they, and they saw it and a voice, or at least John for sure saw it, and, and a voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. And so God spoke, and then the people heard it, and they were like blown away because there are all these prophecies that have been surrounding Jesus his entire life, all of this stuff about him and who was he going to be. And so all of a sudden, there's this miraculous thing that takes place. Well, immediately after that, in Matthew chapter 4, as he as he is identifying and he's modeling for us what it means to even give our lives to the Lord and, and surrender. And so he's, he's modeling that. His identity is proclaimed in this like incredibly like euphoric experience. Like just imagine, like when I got baptized, I felt good. When I baptize somebody, I feel, feel pretty good. 
But if the heavens opened up and God said something and like everybody heard it, I'd be blown away, right? And that's what happened with Jesus. And so there's this this incredible experience he has that identifies him as the son of God. It authenticates him as the Messiah from a divine perspective. And immediately following this incredible spiritual victory, the devil comes after him out in the wilderness. And we see it in Matthew chapter 4. It's the encounter when, when, when the devil is like tempting Jesus. Now, it's easy for us when we read this passage of Scripture to, to like think in terms of, man, the devil, this wicked-looking creature is coming to Jesus, and he's, it, it's easy for us to think that way. But I don't think that's the way the devil operates. I mean, that's certainly not the way he operates on me, and that's not the way we see him operating throughout the New Testament as Paul teaches us about theology of, of, of the enemy and spiritual warfare. He says many presents himself as an angel of light. And so Jesus has just now had this proclamation from God because he is, he is the God-man. And so here is God in all of his humanity. And, and before all these people, this, this divine proclamation has happened that they could hear. And so he's had this experience that aligns him as the son of God. People have seen that and witnessed that. And he goes out to the wilderness before he starts his ministry. He's just meeting with the father. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because he's showing us, you see, Jesus, we we call this the doctrine of the hypostatic union of deity and humanity. And what that means is that the reason that Jesus and the virgin birth is so important is that that God needed a sacrifice. This is why Jesus is called the sacrificial lamb, is that God needed a sacrifice that could cover the sins of humanity. And in order to cover those sins there had to be consequences for the sin. And so the consequences for all humanity is death and this eternal separation from God. And so God needed a sacrifice that was perfect, but it had to be a human sacrifice. But it had to be a human that didn't sin. And so when we look at the hypostatic union of deity and humanity, what we have is a real human body of flesh being created in the womb of Mary who doesn't have an earthly father. So the, 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 the woman's body created the DNA that was the flesh of Jesus. The blood um, that was supplied for that human came from the divine father. Okay, and so God supernaturally just made Mary pregnant. This is what we know is that that Mary, she conceived of the Lord and she was a virgin. Now, why this is important is because we have, when Jesus comes into the world as a baby, he's all of God because it's a miraculous birth. Like you, you just can't do that, right? That's not the way humans are designed. And so he's all of God, but he's all of man. And so in order to be the sacrifice that he was going to be, that would be the perfect sacrifice. As again, John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has to be fully God, but he has to function on the planet all the way up to the sacrifice as a man, as a man that is connected with the Father. So he goes out to the desert after his identity has confirmed and people hear that. He goes out to the desert 
to connect with the Father because he's doing this as a human. He's not doing it as God, even though he is God, he's in human flesh. And so he is, he's coming to the world to save humanity from their sin. And so as he's out in the wilderness, he's fasting. And he's fasting for 40 days. And we pick up in Matthew chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 13, and we have this encounter where at the end of the 40 days, man, if you fast for 40 days, you don't eat for 40 days, your, your body is weak. But here's what we have to understand. Your spirit is strong. Like you, 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 you have just put yourself in a position where you've made the eternal and the spiritual more important than anything else. And so here's Jesus out in the wilderness. He's been connecting with the Father just as he begins his ministry after his baptism. He's abiding with the Father, and as he's out there preparing to come down, and he's going to start preaching like people have never, ever heard before. He's about to shift the entire direction of the nation of Israel. All their prophets, all of their, um, all, all of the, uh, I should say, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, all of these peoples, the all of these people, the Sadducees, they they've been like teaching the people the wrong stuff, this legalistic stuff. And Jesus, he he's, he knows that he's he's about to attack that. This is, so he go, you know, we know the stories of him going into the temple and he clears the temple, and so he goes out in the desert and he's preparing his body that he's going to live it out and his spirit is going to control his body and give him the courage and everything that is necessary to, to be obedient to the Father's will. So out there in the wilderness as he's connecting with the Lord, he's abiding with him and he's just talking to the Lord. He, he, he's all of the, the uh, truth that has been recorded in the Old Testament and he's, he's meditating on that and he's getting his body to submit to the spirit. And it says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I mean, you, you know how you are when you're hungry. I'm, I'm not talking about just you're a little bit hungry right now because you're thinking about lunch. I'm talking about hungry, right? You're hangry. You need a Snickers. You're not yourself. This is 40 days. And, man, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus could have turned the stone into bread. Like, all he would have had to do is just, like, bread. It had been the best bread any human had ever eaten. After all, God did bring down the manna for the Israelites in the Old Testament. I can hear the enemy working on him. You remember how God took care of the Israelites, and, and they are his chosen pe people. If you really are the son of God, <laughs> see, we, we don't, like Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. This is what the writer of Hebrews says but he did not sin. If you are the son of God, if he took care of the Israelites, why, why isn't he turning that stone into bread for you? And so he could have done it. And Jesus responds to him. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is on the right side of the deal, man. He's on the right side of freedom. And so then he goes on to say, um, 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, questioning his identity again, whom God had just confirmed for him, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. If you are the son of God, you don't have to worry about, like, just see if God will save you. He's trying, he's, he's tempting him to put God in a precarious situation, God the Father. And so then Jesus answers him and he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. That's an important word to us as humans, that splendor. That's, that's what we often want to pursue is splendor, the splendor of the world. And so, so he takes him up and he sees all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Just worship me with your life. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. This is a very powerful experience for our Lord. So when we talk about giving our lives to the Lord, we're talking about giving our lives to somebody who submitted himself to that temptation in order that he could purchase us and put us on the right side of the equation and give us that freedom, that abundant life. So we look and, and, and we see that Jesus did not use his divinity to defeat Satan. He used his humanity, and that's what he had to do. And so what does he do? He uses um, the things that are at his disposal as a human to defeat the enemy. And what is that? The truth of God's word. And so if, if the enemy could get him to stumble on any of this at any point in time, the whole thing falls apart. And there's this celestial battle going on in the heavens between God and and this fallen creature who has rebelled against him. And so it's about the will. It's all about our will. What are we going to do with the situations like we're faced with, and the devil is tempting us, and certainly we, we aren't going to face a temptation as powerful as that one. Maybe we could, I suppose. I, I doubt it. But what do we do when we face temptation? We all face temptation because what is happening is the devil's trying to rip us off and this demonic spiritual stuff that is out there that we can't see that is influencing humanity is trying to get us to succumb. Like the devil's trying to get us to lose control of our temper and chew people out. And when we do that, we just got ripped off. Because the fruit of the spirit is what? Self-control, love, patience, kindness not chewing people out. And so when we chew people out, did we lose our salvation? No, but we have moved over to the wrong side of the whole deal, and so we have lost some freedom. And so if we can stay on the right side, even when our, our ears start to burn and we're getting upset, if we could take a breath and say, you know what? This is the enemy trying to get me to react in order to compromise my testimony 
and who I am, my identity in the Lord. He's trying to get me to act like the old man instead of the new man that I am because Christ has taught me and the word teaches me, the truth of the word teaches me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we're supposed to be acting like new people, not like everybody else. So when we accept the Lord, there is a difference, but it's not a difference that we're trying to earn our way and our pleasure to God. It is that we realize we are now in a place of freedom, and if we don't listen to the Lord and follow his leading, we're sacrificing our freedom, and we're getting on the wrong side, and we're living like slaves in this free condition that we've been placed in. And so it's all about our will and what we do with that will, and Jesus shows us how to follow God instead of our own will, and that's what this whole thing is about, is the enemy trying to get us to rebel and follow our own will instead of God's will. In his attempt to rip Jesus off, the charlatan uses three lethal tactics that we need to be completely aware of. Like These are things that you are going to face this week. I can't describe the situation that you're going to be in or the circumstances, but I can tell you if you will look, these things are going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to look at every decision that you're coming across and go, all right, what's going on here? Remember, the buyer says, it is not, it is not, and when he walks away, he rejoices because he got a good deal. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and destroy, and as he comes to me and he tries to steal my freedom and kill my freedom and destroy it, I'm going to look at him and say, depart from me. I'm going to live on the right side and hold on to my freedom. I don't want to be on the wrong side. Here's the first tactic. He gets us to put our physical needs above our spiritual needs. This is his number one tactic. Like you, 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 I, I don't have time to go and, and be with the body on a weekly basis. I've got things to do. Those are physical needs above spiritual needs. I don't have time to get in the word because I'm so busy. Those are physical needs above spiritual needs. We're all faced with that same tactic on a consistent basis. Satan comes to him and says, this is basically what he's saying in that. Why is God treating you this way? Why are you hungry? Why doesn't he feed you? And I think you could just wrap it up like this. God is holding out on you. And that's what he does to us. He makes us think that God is holding out on us. He's just not doing what we want him to do. He's not supposed to do what we want him to do. We're supposed to do what he wants us to do. And when we live from that perspective, our freedom is intact. But when we start thinking about God is not doing what I want him to do, and why is he treating me this way? And this is what the enemy was trying to do with Jesus, is he was trying to She was trying to entice him with false freedom. He did the same thing with the very first Adam in the Garden of Eden, and this is why Jesus is described as the second Adam. The first Adam failed, the second Adam did not. Is he offers him false freedom. And what does he do? He does the same thing. Hath God not said? And so he uses the word. And and so we can look at this and we can see as as the devil does this, we can apply this to our desires and our wants. It's like, when I might desire and there are things in me that I want to see happen and come to like a manifestation in my life, I want to see them fulfill. I can get frustrated and go, God, why aren't you doing this? And so it's a temptation to get me on the wrong side. I've got to remind myself, God is doing this. If this is something that God wants in my life, I know that the psalmist has said there is a promise that he will fulfill all the desires of my heart. 
So maybe it is that my desires need to be shifted a little bit, or maybe it is I just need to keep waiting on God. He is going to bring about what it is that he wants uh, to do. And so when we question this, we are questioning God's provision. And when we begin to question God's provision, we will take all that is divine that he has given to us and use it to please ourselves. And so we could take our freedom that we have in Christ and go, you know what? I know I'm right with God. It doesn't really matter what I do in this situation because I'm already right with God in a, in a transaction standpoint. And that is true. We, it is paid in full when we receive Christ as our Savior, if we are in Christ. But when we start questioning that provision, we will take all of that freedom and that incredible transaction to where he purchased us and we will use the divine to please ourselves and that is where that whole idea of selfishness comes in, and we, we, we start spending our freedom. Now, we cannot allow our circumstances to dictate our actions. This is so important, you guys. It's like, if you... I, man, I don't want to be a part of religion where I'm just like trying to do A, B, C, D. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying, trying to put my money in the offering. I'm trying to do, man, I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to live in this place where I just wake up and I'm like, I love life because of what the Lord is doing inside of me. And the way we do that is we cannot allow circumstances to dictate our actions. Well, it's okay if I compromise right now because God understands where I'm at in this position in life. That's, that's being ripped off. Don't compromise. If you know like it's a compromise, then stand away from it and realize that's the wrong side of the deal and you don't want to be there. We can't allow our circumstances to dictate our actions. We must rely on what we cannot see. That is faith. We walk by faith, not by sight in order to sustain us in every single situation. If we separate the physical from the spiritual, we leave God out every time. And so when you start thinking, well, I have my work and I have my church. No, you are the church, and when you're at work, the church is at work. Like, it's all one thing. You cannot separate the physical from the, the spiritual. You don't have, like, the things you do over here secularly and then the things you do over here spiritually, if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, everything you do is spiritual. When you mow the grass, it is spiritual. I wish Joel were in here. He always misses a spot. <laughs> and so it is a spiritual act of worship, everything that we do. And so when we separate it, we leave God out, and when we leave God out, guess what happens? We get ripped off. And so... Jesus must be first in everything, or he is first in nothing. You can't put anything before the Lord. And so this is fascinating to me. Before we move on to tactic number two, Jesus was abiding. Now, he teaches us in John chapter 15 that we are to abide in him. And so he was abiding with the Father in his, in his flesh. And he's abiding, and Satan was trying to disrupt it. You know the number one thing that Satan's going to come after you is your abide time. What is abide time? It's when you sit with the Lord. 
It's when you read the word and you meditate on it. And, and we look at this and, 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 and Jesus is abiding and Satan is, is, is disrupting it. But abiding is where we receive our spiritual health that enables us to obey the will of God and do what he's asked us to do. So what digestion is to the body, meditation is to the soul when we take it and meditate on the truth. You can't just meditate on anything. You gotta meditate on the truth of the word of God. You gotta abide and sit with the Lord and have a time with him. And, and so the enemy is gonna try to disrupt that more than he is in anything in your life because when he disrupts that, he takes away your freedom. He's come to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, that your freedom can be off the charts, but it happens in the midst of that, that abiding where we're walking by faith, not by sight. And so the application is the more you abide, the better the ride. Like the more you abide with the Lord, the better this whole ride of life is gonna be. Here's the second tactic. He will use the word of God against us. And so in his second attempt to rip Jesus off, he subtly uses the word. Since it is written, because since Jesus, in his abide time, when he's trying to disrupt it, he's trying to get him to turn this thing into, the stone into bread. And he says, yeah, but even though, like, he says, you could turn that into bread. You know you could if you wanted to. He says, yeah, but I'm not just living on physical stuff. What's more important to me is the spiritual. He says, didn't just live on bread alone, but the very word of God. And so he, he, he so the devil comes back at him the second time, and he says, Subtly, it is written. And so he uses the word. And so we think we don't have time to know the word and the very enemy that we face is using it against us. You see, like it is important for us to know the truth of the word of God. And that's where all this confusion comes in in our world is where people just want to believe in a, in a pie in the sky like fancy Jesus that loves everybody and they leave the truth of the word of God out. Man, we have to know the word and follow the word because the enemy knows the word and he will use it against us. And so Jesus responds. If we don't know the word, again, we get ripped off. And so Jesus responds with, when he says, you know, it is written, the devil says, that he won't let you hurt yourself. Jesus responds with, it is also written. And so he quotes another scripture on it. And so here's, here's, here's what is important about that. Is that we must never divorce one part of scripture from another. When you take, it's called contextualizing. You lift, you textualize the t text, you rip a piece out and you try to make this to say, well, I can do this because it says so right here in the Bible. We must never divorce one part of scripture from scripture. One of the number one rules of hermeneutics, good conservative biblical uh, uh, interpretation is scripture always interprets scripture, interprets scripture. And so we always laying one verse against another and seeing what the bulk of the evidence is in the word of God. We never compare spiritual things um, uh, or, we, or we are always to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Look at what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. We got too many people trying to explain spiritual realities with no spiritual taught words. And that's how we end up with cults. They, they, they don't line up with the word of God. And so the, the essentials of the word of God and what is orthodox in our faith, like there can be differences on an interpretation that is not in the midst of an, the orthodox faith. Like how does one become a Christian? 
What does that mean to get to be born again? That that is that is a that is like an orthodox piece or a, a, an essential piece of doctrine that must have unity with the scripture. And when it gets outside of that, and someone else says, "Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe," whoa, no, it does matter. When somebody says, "Oh, there there are many roads that lead to Jesus," whoa, bro, nah, there's one way. I should say, many roads that lead to God. There's one road. It's Jesus. So I don't like that. Well, you don't like Jesus because he's the one that said it. And, and so we got to know the word and because we, we can prove anything and justify anything from the Bible if we isolate texts. The Bible is to be taken as a whole, the word of God. And, and so we see in this that the devil's trying to get him to jump. Now, what's that about? We, and so he says, Jesus says, you know, it is written, it is also written, he, yes, he will protect me, but I am not to tempt him. And so we tempt God, listen to this, we tempt God when we try to force him to contradict his word. This is why this is the law of reaping and sowing is so important. We're tempting God when we put ourselves in a situation that, like, that, that we, we need God to perform a miracle when God has told us in the first place, don't go into that situation. And so we're tempting God when we do that. And so never put yourself in a circumstance that forces God to work a miracle. Now, when you find yourself in a circumstance that requires a miracle, we should be praying and asking for God's assistance. But what we should not be doing is putting ourselves in that situation. Like, I'm so depressed, my life feels hopeless. I've got a gun right here, I'm about to kill myself. God, if you don't show up right now, I'm going to kill myself. That's tempting God. It's tempting God. And so we, we, we got to be careful with those things. Because so we, so, we can do them, that's on a grand level of, of desperation. But we do it all the time. Like we do it all the time. God, God if you don't show up, I, like if, if, if God, if, if you don't show up in this, like I, I'm just going to go out with this girl. When you know you're going out with a girl that is going to lead you on a, on a journey that you don't have any business being on, but you're already having trouble controlling yourself, and now you're going to get in a relationship with a girl who doesn't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, and so she doesn't know about that, and how are you going to lead her in that situation? That's tempting God. Now, God can work in the midst of that and help us get out of it, but we don't want to put him in that situation, and so how do we avoid that? we got to know the word. Here's the application. The more you know, the more you grow, which equals a lot more freedom. This is why I want to be in the word, man, because the more I know about the word, the more freedom I'm living in, and the more freedom that I have, the more meaningful my life, and the more meaningful my career, the more meaningful my relationships, the more meaningful everything that I'm doing, because why? I'm just loaded with freedom, and the devil can't, he can't get to me, because why? Because I'm living on what Jesus has already purchased. I'm staying on the right side. Here's the third tactic, and this one is very dangerous. He will offer us a shortcut to splendor. Like we, that splendor is that piece where, man, I've been successful. I have made it. Look at me. Look how much money I have. Look at how much prestige I have. Look how famous I am. Look how popular I am. Look how many people look, like me. Look at what I drive. Now, again, none of those things are bad. But they need to be done within the context of our pursuit of God and not those things. And so as God brings those things into our lives, they are to be enjoyed they're creations of the Lord, but as we begin to look at those things, the devil will take those things and he will offer us a shortcut to splendor that doesn't have anything to do with the Lord. That's what he did with Jesus. 
Here's what you should know. There are no shortcuts to the will of God. They do not exist. Jesus said, when the devil says to to Jesus, see all these kingdoms that you've come to save? This was the mission of of Christ. His splendor was to save the world. That's, That's what he felt his purpose was. See all these kingdoms? If you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. That's what you came for anyway. And so what do we learn from that? Is that Jesus responded to him, it is written to worship and serve God only. See, see, Satan left the service piece out, which is, that's the shortcut. Here's a way to get to it quicker, Jesus. And service and worship always go together. Worship, we must always worship and and serve God at the same time. And so Satan says nothing about that, but Jesus knew we needed to worship and serve, and they needed to be coupled together or it just was not going to work. And so uh, this, if we do not serve, we have a loss of freedom. If we're not serving with our lives, here's the application. Life is not tougher when we suffer. Now, um, here's why I use that as the application. I'm going to put it together here. The big idea of the talk is that we need to live on the right side of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says that now there are the three greatest things are faith, hope, and love. And this is exactly what Satan attacked in the temptation of Christ. Um, he used, uh, Satan uses, what Satan uses to defeat us, God will use to build us. So, so Satan is attacking the faith, the hope, and the love. Um, he attacks the love when he questioned the provisions and the circumstances that Jesus was in. He, 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 he gets him to question uh, the faith and attacks the faith when he says, jump to see if God will keep his promise. That was a faith question. And then he, the hope is he offers the splendor on the wrong side of the cross. The only way to get to that splendor was the cross. That was the mission that, that God the Father had laid out for God the Son. And so what does Jesus say to us? Take up your cross daily and follow me. So he's offering splendor on the wrong side of the cross. Now, the beauty of all of this is, is that Christ has gone to the cross in order to purchase our freedom. So when we make the decision, and this is the decision I have made in my life and I'm living out, I'm not buying what the enemy is selling. I'm living on what the Lord has already purchased. And so every time I leave God out, I'm buying from the enemy. I'm getting ripped off. But every time I like look at the situation and go, whoa, 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 man, I I don't want to lose my freedom in this. I'm living on the right side of the resurrection. And that's what we have to do because that's where the freedom's at. So don't find yourself this week like, don't go out there and get ripped off, guys. Just like look and say, what, what side of the cross is this on? When you feel that little prompting, what side of the cross is this on? Because I want to be on the right side of the resurrection. I want to be on that resurrection side, and I want to be on that death side. I'm already over here. Jesus purchased me, so I'm going to live on the right side of the resurrection. Let's live on the right side and let the Lord load us down with freedom. Like we're just going through life, man. And the joy of the Lord is our strength because we're walking in freedom. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's his word for you. 
He, like, he wants you to be armed with this truth today so that your life, you go out this week and you live it out, man, and God is just doing stuff all around you. He's got stuff out ahead of you, and you're seeing it because you're living on the right side of the resurrection. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.